0: Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks, live from the Sydney Writers' Festival. I'm Magdalena Ball and it is my utter pleasure to welcome Ben Okri to the Writers' Festival and to the Compulsive Reader Talks.
1: A real pleasure to be here.
0: It's wonderful to have you. I I hardly need to give an introduction to Ben Oakry, but um, just briefly, he's published eight novels, including most recently The Age of Magic and of course the Booker Prize winning The Famished Road, as well as collections of poetry, including one that's uh, just out, wild. And uh, his work has been translated into more than 20 languages. He's a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature. He's been awarded the OBE, as well as numerous international prizes. Um, Ben, welcome.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Uh, Now, you don't have a copy of The Age of Magic with you, do you?
1: I do but it is just over there. It's in the back.
0: I just, I love to open the show with a little reading, so if you wouldn't mind just reading a tiny bit, just for listeners who may not have read The Age of Magic, it'd be great just to orient them.
1: Do you have in mind any particular questions You, you
0: questions? know, you're welcome to read just from the start, if you like. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's all right.
1: I see something. Okay, so you am to read from the beginning.
0: That would be great. Just, you know, maybe five minutes, if that.
1: Okay. Some things only become clear much later. They were on a train from Paris to Switzerland when the White Mountains and the nursery rhythms of the wheels lulled him to sleep. He found himself talking to a quilt. What are you afraid of? It said. Why should I be afraid of anything, Lau replied. Maybe you're afraid of Malasa. Why should I be afraid of him? Everyone else is. I don't know him. People are afraid of what they don't know. Never met him. Why should I be scared of him? You tell me. Lau became aware, out of the corner of his eyes, that everything seemed luminous. In a compartment full of businessmen, tourists, and young lovers, The Quilf looked perfectly at ease. This bothered Lao. Then it must be life you're afraid of, the Quilf said after a while. There are some conversations so strange that they only remembered much later, but not noticed at the time. The Quilf, in a unique space, occupied the seat from Lao. The Quilf, in a unique space, Occupied the seat from Lao. He felt lucky to see it. With a hint of amusement, the Quilf said, "Do you know what the luckiest thing is? No. It is to be at home everywhere. Outside. Outside the window, the mountains changed from white to green. You may see me again later," smiled the Quilf but don't look out for me. Wait, I want to ask you a question. You had your chance, said the Quilf, with an expression at once malicious and drawn. Be more awake next time.
0: Lovely, thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, I think that first passage introduces a lot of the themes of the book um, in it almost immediately.
1: The first passage being some things become clear much later?
0: <laughs> well, I love that you're saying that again, and nice and slowly too. <laughs>
1: yes. That is that is because um, uh, with that with that opening sentence, and opening chapter, and opening paragraph, I wanted to, as it were, give a hint to the reader as to how to read the book, um, to read it retrospectively, uh, to read it retroactively, and to read it provisionally.
0: Mm. One of the things you mentioned in, in your Age of Magic talk, which I will actually link to from this as well, so that people can cross-reference, is this idea of, of, of reading slowly, but also I think attentiveness. I and mean, you talked about the writer needing to listen, and I think also the reader needing to pay attention. In our world, in you know the modern world, the postmodern world, if you like, attention is such a rare thing, isn't it?
1: It is. I think we're. Um we're assaulted um, uh, with many different kinds of uh, noise, uh, beautiful noise and aggravating noise, the noise of ideas, the noise of sales, the noise of advertisements, the noise of cars, um, that we need a new kind of attentiveness, we need a new kind of listening, we need a deeper listening. Um, I feel very much that the, 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 the writer is at their best, when they listen deeply to, to, to life, um, to, the, to the conversation of society, to the conversation of their age. But I also feel it's very important that we as readers, we as human beings, be more attentive and actually be a little bit slower in, uh, uh, in our receptivity uh, to life and, and to things. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of a really big advocate of what I call slow reading. Um, I think we teach our children to read very fast, and we make them skip over important details, we make them not listen to the inner tone of how really good pieces of writing um, are are written. And I think because of this fast reading, we have a fast reading of life itself which leads to many errors and many misunderstandings. Um, So I think a, a change in the pace of how we read both books, life and one another, I think would make a significant improvement to our relationships and to how we relate to our age
0: mm. Yes, I mean the internet as well I yes. think encourages us to, to do things yes. to multitask, multitask. to, to scan, scan rather than to read Yes, to scan Yeah, absolutely In fact, I, we got a, a letter the other day offering one of my children at, at high school um, a course on how to read faster Oh my goodness And I said, no, I'm not sending you on that I no, want no, you to no. read slower No, you need
1: a course on how to read slower <laughs> Absolutely yes. and,
0: and how to pay attention
1: and how to how to listen deeply to pauses.
0: Yes. So uh, once I started reading The Age of Magic, it occurred to me that this was a continuation of the characters and the story that was in, in Arcadia. Um, the, the same characters, that some of them have actually grown since the previous uh, Lao, for example, is quite a different character to the character in Arcadia. But did, was there something um, that you felt maybe was unfinished or that needed developing or, for, or a sequel?
1: No, I I don't think of them as sequels. I think of them as very, as as I think of them as um, uh, pearls on a on a a chain, pearls on a string. Um, So, in Arcadia was about initiation, about beginnings, um, about about the illusion of beginnings, um, and about the, uh, the, the the quest for Arcadia in its primary aspect. But the Age of Magic is very different. Um, um, book um, in this book, I'm looking at the relationship between magic, evil, um, the uh, the way in which um, journeys break us down and give us a chance to recompose ourselves, um, and the the idea that that which we go towards changes as we go towards it because of what is revealed to us about ourselves. So it's a very different project. Each book stands completely on its own and I structure and shape it in accordance with the laws of its own particular universe. This this book, The Age of Magic, took me much longer to write because it's a much more compressed book, mm-hmm. compressed and simple at the same time, but two very difficult um, things to combine. Um, and also it's a very layered book, it's layered with spaces, layered with emptiness, layered with poetry, um, layered with different kinds of storytelling, um, layered with thoughts. Um, with um, with with fragments um, it's very much for me a book of of potential it's a crouched book mm.
0: yes I love this condensory notion as well this idea of writing something very um, expansive that, that kind of t- takes the whole world in yes. and then tightens it up into something that is very much condensed like poetry which is what poetry does yes absolutely.
1: it is it is what poetry does mm. um, and the novel tends us towards expansion um but I think compression is more suggestive. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in a phase where I'm really, really interested in, in suggestiveness. This is a book about margins. This is a book about things seen out of the corner of your eyes. It's a book about liminality. It's a book about things that are there but not there. Um, so it, it, it needed a different kind of style, a different kind of tone to write it. So it had to be a, a tone that suggested more than it said.
0: Yeah, so um, Faust, of course, runs through the book, and I think m- more than just Faust as, as a, a piece of writing, um, the Goethe notion of der uh, poodle's can, or you know, the, this unseen magic, and art is magic, in fact. Um, talk to me a bit about that, this notion of art being almost a gateway into the magic that is you know, always with us behind the surface.
1: Well, uh um, Faust, Goethe's Faust, is very important to this text because it provided the counterpoint to, um, to Arcadia. Um, of course, in the center of Faust, there's a journey to Arcadia. Um, and the very idea of a journey to Arcadia involves the idea of evil um, and the idea of dealing with evil, which is where Faust comes in. But the idea of art as magic, art as a kind of portal to a subliminal existence, to an underlying river... Uh, of, of, of enchantment behind all things, as one that has always um, has always been with me, um, but it's just taken me much longer to find the perfect form in which to express it. Um, this book is very much about that secret river that runs behind all things, um, and that requires extraordinary or sometimes um, unusual states of mind to uh, make contact with it or to let it, as it were, filter in, 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 in into us. So it's a book about portals and about making spaces when you read the book itself you will see that the pages um, is very much um, in the idea of the creation of spaces through which things can come in sometimes you will see blank spaces with um, just a little bit of black writing across it um, and the idea is, there is a dialogue between emptiness and presence, between the visible and the invisible mm. yes, this
0: transcendent transcendent knowledge that's denied to the rational mind, you almost have to uh, I think you you talked about this with the The first growth question you got which is this idea of looking out of the corner of your eye rather than looking directly at things just to to get that transcendence
1: in Yes, transcendence doesn't look us in the face it's present right there in front of everything but it actually is something that is best reached indirectly um, which is why Poetry is at its best, indirect. Mm. Um, and tell
0: all truth, but tell it
1: slant. Tell the truth, but tell it slant, as, as the wonderful Emily Dickinson yes. reminds us. Yes, tell it slant. But not only tell it slant, listen to it slant. Um, it requires that we too should be slightly slant inside ourselves. Um, because the straight-up listening doesn't really hear, just like the straight-up scene doesn't really see. Um, and this is a book about slanted scene, slanted yeah. writing, slanted listening. And,
0: and perhaps, a, and this is the line right from the beginning of the Famished world which has stayed with me for some 20 years, um, this idea of the amazing indifference of the living in the midst of the simple beauties of the universe. W- would you say that's kind of an underlying theme for all your work?
1: It is, it is actually, um, and it's a source of great passion to me, um, uh, because i um, just looking, at, just looking at the world with a, with, a, with an occasional expanded sense one can but be struck by the fact that um, we are here gifted with um, uh, an extraordinary swell of, 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 of richness um, it may be from inside us it may be from outside us it may be the conjunction of the two things it doesn't matter what it is but the fact is that it is here and most of the time we miss it and we miss it because of the way in which um, our consciousness has become structured through education and the way in which we look at the world but don't see it mm.
0: yes y- let's just talk a bit now we've talked a lot about the good <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Malasa um, only in that I-, I know in in the age of magic that he is more or less malevolent he, he is the negative baggage um, and that's uh, and from a character point of view certainly now. Lau- Says quite clearly, you know, he is, and you talked about this, kind of the sum total of our negative ba- baggage, he's our collective negativity. Um, but I couldn't help but bring my, my knowledge of how he was from in Acadia when I read this book. And, and to me, he's not only malevolent, he's also kind of a, he's a guiding force. And maybe there is no good without evil. So maybe malevolence always has some positive aspect to it. But also, in almost a metafictional way, I saw Malasso as being kind of like an authorial, authorial figure. He was guiding the characters towards their epiphanies.
1: Well, that's a wonderful reading. Um, almost uh, completely uh, makes it unnecessary for me to say anything else, um, except to add that um, Malasso flows with how their mind flows. Um, I've been interested in this idea for some time, that it seems as if uh, groups create a, a kind of a joint um, collective energy, which you could almost call a collective entity. Um, and this happens with nations as well. And it explains certain certain periods that nations go through. Um, the disasters, uh, 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 the wars, the, 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 the way in which thought inclines towards certain kinds of deeds. Um, so Malasso flows with their thoughts. If their thoughts are negative, Malasso is negative. If their thoughts uh, luminous, Malasso is luminous. It's just that on the whole, on this part of the journey, their thoughts, their collective thinking has been negative and Malasso collects that. Um, so you could say that Malasso is a kind of Prospero figure, um, um, except that he's a liminal Prospero figure um, and he's as much an enigma to me as as he is to the characters in the novel.
0: But, but he is starting to develop his own kind of life, isn't he? He's, he's never been in two of your books. You'll have to write a, a novel with him as the, uh, as a main, the main character. Yes. That's right. The, the secret molasses. Right. Um, look, um, the writing style that you you talked about, this about about this a little bit um, in your Age of Magic session. The writing style that you've developed in here, this sort of fictive philosophy um, that you've come across in, it's almost poetry. It's not quite poetry, though. It's almost prose, but it's not quite prose. And it's almost philosophy. In its way as well. Just talk to me about how you develop this style.
1: Well, it was it was in many ways um, an accident of the conditions under which the book was written. Um, because the book was written over a period of time, um, I've been trying to sort of get the shape and the tone of this book, and it's been quite elusive. Um, it's just as while I was writing the book, I was also writing a, a, a book of Stokus which is a, a kind of. Um, this form I invented, which is a cross between the short story and the haiku. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also writing these kind of poetic essays, um, and I was also writing a lot of poetry. So it, it is understandable that these different forms, will, as it were, seep into um, into this novel uh, that I was writing. Um, but I did want I did want a f- I did want a tone that was el- elastic, that was able to be fictive, um, able to encroach upon the territory of poetry, um, able to be c- capable of springing thought. Um, I, wanted, I, wanted this, I wanted a tone that went through all of these great genres, all these great realms um, of literature. Um, because of the nature of the journey, I never do anything in my writing gratuitously. Everything I do has a great rigour um, um, and has to have its source from the central theme of the book. And because the central theme of this book is magic, the, the magic of life, the magic of consciousness itself. Um, I, needed a, I needed a tone of voice that could be magical. And for me, magical is, 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 a, is a capacity to transform, the capacity to adapt to different realms, um, the capacity to um, um, bring from the imagination the forms that uh, are suggested uh, to it. So for me, it's I needed a, I needed a tone that could work, work with all the different realms because Arcadia is both the poetic idea, the fictive idea, um, and, and the philosophical one. And a place. And uh, eminently a place.
0: Yes, yes. So s- this idea of a sort of circularity, um, which, uh, again, as you're talking about, we our understanding of time mm. has changed so much over the years, this notion of time being circular. Uh, do you feel almost... Um, and you alluded to it only slightly in the in the last session, but do you feel almost as though um, you're harking back in a way to the early 20th century experimental writers like Joyce, who you mentioned?
1: Um, I wouldn't say that um, I'm harking I'm harking back to um, the, the early modernists of the 20th, 20th century. It's more that I. Um, I am compelled to take into consideration the nature of the achievements. Um, I think the novel um, cannot go on doing what the novel has been doing for three, 400 years. For the very simple reason um, that the nature of our lives has changed. The tempo of our lives has changed. Time has changed for us. Space has changed for us. Um, and
0: continues to change. Conti- quantum physics and, and is exactly, changing everything. Exactly.
1: Um, so fiction itself, which is the highest representation uh, in a narrative sense of the form, the texture, uh, uh, and the mutability of our lives, fiction has to adapt to these to these great changes. So we, it, it needs to be continually innovative. Um, I feel that the Joycean experiments, the Wolfian experiments. Of the of the 20th century, um, they, they are landmarks, but I feel that we need to continually take forward as best as we can those experiments to catch both lightly and profoundly this evanescent quality of our of our of our time, this this circularity, this increasing way in which time collapses and becomes very difficult to to to, to hold down in one place, this quantum idea of time and of events, being able to, as it were, be two places at the same time. We just need a new kind of fictionality. Yes.
0: Um, is, is this, to, to a certain extent, is, is this almost what you mean by, we're in the age of magic?
1: It is, it is, it is, it is. Um, it is both in, this, in, in, the, in, the, in the terms in which you present it, in this quantum sense, but it's also in the sense that we are moving increasingly towards a convergence between the realm of imagination and the realm of science. Um, yes, and, and there's
0: nothing more romantic or poetic than the, the quantum hypothesis. No,
1: exactly. Not the multiverse. Exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I- I- interestingly, um, you did say that poetry is the foundation of your writing. Um, so this idea, I guess, of poetry being able to to make that leap, make that leap almost, um, between the linearity of fiction and this notion of elasticity and time and, and, and maybe even interconnection with characters because one thing that struck me immediately with your characters they, they actually reminded me a little bit and I'm sure nobody said this to you um, they reminded me a little bit of the characters in The Waves Virginia Woolf's The Waves right, well. this idea of the characters that almost are one character broken off into individual voices that come together again maybe it's the group thing again
1: it is partly the group thing. It's a very interesting intuition you have there. It is partly the group thing, but it's also partly the um, um, another secret um, technique that I used in the book, which is that of um, trying to convey characters in an indirect in an indirect way. Um, I wanted people to encounter the characters first in their essence. Um, before meeting them in any external um, sense, particularly Lao. And people who come to read the book will get to a stage in the book when they'll experience a little aesthetic surprise. Or if you like, a surprise that brings together the aesthetic rendering of Lao and his political condition, as it were. And the book is full of little junctions like that where I try to introduce little aesthetic shocks, little aesthetic surprises. Um, And it's precisely because of this uh, foundation of my writing, which is primarily poetry. I began with it. It's where I return to when I need to renew my hand. It's where I return to when my hand has become much dirtied with 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 with, with prose and and all that nasty plot stuff. All, um, all that awkward and irritating plot stuff. <laughs> um, but I I, I, I I have to say that I also I really deeply respect those rules. Um, the need for plot for character but I think we need to reconfigure it in a new way mm. it's the reconfiguring the way in which we perceive psychology which I think um, will determine how fiction goes in the next 15 years mm.
0: mm. Wonderful well uh, you worked on we're almost at the top but I want to ask you a little bit about Wild simply because it's out <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's new yes. and uh, presumably you were working on it through the writing of The Age of Magic as well
1: yeah.
0: um, do you feel that there's a a direct link, or are they different sides of your brain? How how do you work? Just in a in a mechanical sense, how do you work between writing poetry and writing prose at the same time?
1: I think I think it is stepping into different personalities, almost stepping into different aspects of oneself. Um, with poetry, one thinks in a contracted um, way. One follows the logic of um, of a dream from the inside. There's something about a, a poem when you write a poem. For me, it's not an external shaping; it's an internal listening, it's an internal following, it's an internal threading, as it were, of, of, of images and sounds. Um, it, it's almost as if I have to. F- it's almost as if I have to turn myself inside out when I when I when I when I write poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, but with prose, I write prose with my normal senses and with my normal configuration. Um, with poetry, I, I almost have to leap into a certain um, st- a certain stratosphere in my brain, and I have to stay there. It requires a tremendous amount of um, of energy and attentiveness. But with prose, I can write prose in my settled state of existence. I write it with a here but with this consciousness of the, of the of the poetic tinge at the back of my mind. So poetry has a really big, powerful effect on, on my prose, because it always compels it to... To be indirect, I can't, I can't stress this strongly enough. The advantages of prose is directness, it's clarity, it's it's a logical unfolding. Uh, but the advantages of poetry is is, is 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 indirectness, is revealing the world through the eclipse of of, of, of reason and the opening into a revelation.
0: Mm, wonderful. So, what's on the burner now? Are you are you um, taking a break, or have you got something you're working on?
1: I'm always working on something. Mm. Um, there's, a, there's a novel which is, um, again, very difficult because with each book I have to start from scratch. Mm. Um, I can never write uh, a new book in the, in the way I, that I wrote the old one. Um, I, it, for me, it's always a foundation act. And
0: do you feel you um, always have to lift that bar just a little higher? Uh, y- yeah,
1: one, one, one cannot do what one did before mm. um, because if for no other reason than for the fact that, you know, when a book enters into the world, it takes its shape in the world. And if you put that same shape there in terms of a thought or a tone, it is to really render your next book practically invisible. Mm. Yes.
0: Fantastic. And we we don't want that. No, we don't want that. (laughs) But uh, we're looking forward to the next one. Thank you so much. That's all we have time for today. Um, But we've been talking with Ben Okri. (laughs) Um, Ben, thank you so much for taking some time out while you're here in Sydney. It's been fantastic.
1: uh, Thank you for a really wonderful and... uh, intense and intelligent conversation.
0: Pleased to have you. Thank you.
1: Bless Thank you.